Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser, the faculty chair of autonomous vehicle engineering at Princeton University. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. And we have some great guests at the conclusion here of the Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit, the second annual. Uh, with us is Michael Senna, publisher of The Dispatcher from Sweden, and Bernard Soriano, deputy director of the Department of Motor Vehicles in California. Thanks for joining us, Bernard and Michael. Nice to be here. Nice to be here, too, and thank you for having me. Well, Alan, this summit brought together people and ideas really from all over the world. Uh, so many issues, the technology, government regulation, insurance, what are the benefits, what are the obstacles. Alan, where do, where do you want to start on all this? So what, 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 do you have any key takeaways? Uh, there are so many. We, <clears throat> we don't have the time to, to, uh, to go through them all. This was... Um, this was a very, very successful conference from, from my point of view, <clears throat> primarily because we got a lot of people to start, uh, not to start, but to continue thinking about the various aspects <clears throat> of, of this technology and, and how do we help it be uh, a successful rollout. Uh, it could go ways in which it could be very ugly, or it could go ways in which it could provide enormous public and societal benefits and we're at a critical point in the in this evolution or revolution and therefore uh, we got an enormous number of people really thinking seriously about uh, how to do this well and of course uh, one of the the states here in the US that's that's been leading the way has has been California and Bernard, you're really in the forefront of that. Describe for us where things are today. You've been getting applications from companies that want to start testing without any driver involved at all, without even a monitor on board, right? Yeah, that's right. And um, as I said in the um, in my talk earlier, you know, right now we've we've always we've had testing regulations in place since September of 2014, and uh, that requires a driver. And to date, we've got 53 companies that have been approved, and they're all testing in California. Um, and uh, April 1st is when the new regulations became effective, which allows for testing without a driver. Um, we currently have two applications. We're evaluating those applications. And Is um, it public which companies? Uh, well, we're not one? saying which, okay. uh, which companies are, but there have been some articles that have been published about, um, uh, about who the companies are. And are you surprised that and there, there are two of those, but 53 uh, want to be testing autonomous vehicles around the state on, on public roads. Are you surprised that, the, that you have that many, or would you have expected more? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I guess I'm pleasantly surprised. And uh, if you look at the 53 companies, they span a number of different um, companies, right? You've got the OEMs, you've got the Tier 1 suppliers, you've got the... Um, technology companies. You've also got these very small startup companies in Silicon Valley. They're developing a component of autonomous technologies where it'll be part of an overall system. So you've got different types of players that are in this space and they all need to be able to test their technology on our roadways. 
um, and they're all in Silicon Valley because of the, the talent pool there, and because that's where a lot of uh, software development is happening. Tell us what you can about the process involved now. Um, Are you talking about the uh, the uh, completely driverless testing? Yeah, tell us where that is yeah, and so what, what has to happen next. So there are a number of different um, items that companies need to meet. and. Um, they, um, they leverage what's happening at the federal government and, and really recognizing that separation of, of responsibilities that I spoke to, where the federal government's responsible for the safety of the vehicle and the, the occupants of the vehicle, and states are responsible for the safe operation of the vehicle. So some of the things that companies need to do is to have a law enforcement interaction plan, and that law enforcement interaction plan is for law enforcement and first responders to, to gain knowledge about how to interact with that vehicle, you know, either at a traffic stop or in a crash, or if they need to approach the vehicle, what should those individuals do? What they, do they need to be cognizant of? How are they assured that the vehicle is, is still running? How are they assured the vehicle won't um, drive off? You know, things of that nature. Does a vehicle need to know if there are flashing lights behind it that it has to pull over? Well, the, vehicle, the, the manufacturers need to certify that their vehicle is going to obey all of the, uh, the, the traffic laws. And so they, they need to be able to do that. And the, um, uh, the other thing that the, the companies need to do is they need to notify local authorities about where they intend to test. And that notification to local authorities is to to, to say what their operational design domain is and to tell the local authorities, look, we're going to be testing on this street and that street and this time of day and so forth. And so um, it's, it's an attempt to ensure that there's transparency and communication about what type of vehicles are going to be in a particular community. Michael, do you want to jump in? Any, any thoughts about what's going on here in, in California, even though you've got this European perspective? No, I think that, I think that the fact that, that there, there are a number of test sites that are being set up in, in, uh, that we're able to do as much testing as possible. But I think, as, as, you, as you know, and I think part of the reason for your question here is I, I've been a very strong um, advocate for testing off streets. I don't believe that we should be testing any autonomous uh, self-driving, especially vehicles with, without drivers, uh, without people who are capable of taking over the steering wheel. Uh, on on our public rights of way, and I've, I've made that very clear. We have put, we have lots of places where we can test already. We should have more, uh, but we shouldn't be testing on the roads. Alan, I'll let you make the case for, for the other side here. Well, I mean, I, I guess I think that I don't know who the two uh, companies are that. Uh, that have applied in California, but if it, my guesses are of those two companies, they've done exhaustive testing offsite, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, offsite is um, you can only test what you've created for offsite or in simulation, <clears throat> and the biggest problem is is that we don't know what we don't know. And, um, and Mother Nature out there within the real world, um, you know, every once in a while she throws a curveball. And, uh, and unfortunately, we're, you know, we're just not smart enough to, to either simulate it or create a, a closed environment to do that. And, and in some sense, we, we just have to go out there and 
hopefully uh, we'll be we'll, we'll be able to deal with it or at times we're going to get a black eye from it but we're going to learn from it <clears throat> and the only way that you do that is is to go out there and do it for real and 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 doing it for real means that you're then beginning to deliver the value uh, we're doing this to achieve value uh, to make uh, quality of life better for at least some, if not all. <clears throat> and to do that, you have to do it. You can't just simulate it. You can't just, you know, do it in your own private backyard. You have to put it out there. And so at some point, uh, you have to take this stuff off the shelf and put it out there in the real world. And I guess, uh, personally, I think that the, if, I, if my guess is right of the two that are out there doing the application, I, I think that the reward uh, of, of putting them out there is substantially greater than the risk uh, that, uh, that they'll be placing on the public. So I'm, I'm for it. Bernard, what, what would be the value of a, of a state in being one of the first uh, to, to be out there allowing this? Well, you know, I, a lot of people ask us about what's happening in other states and relative to what's happening in California, and we don't see this as a competition. It's, for us, it's, it's not a competition between different states on um, being the very first to have, um, you know, regulations out or being the very first to have autonomous vehicles on the public roadways. Um, we have a we have a requirement, a statutory requirement to develop those regulations and allow those vehicles on our roadway. So that's what we're doing, and um, and we want to do this right. We don't want to do this fast. We want and and not right. We want to we want to be very deliberative, and we want to get this right. And that's why we're um, um, we're taking our time with evaluating the um, the value the uh, applications and making sure that. We've got um, you know all the I's dotted and T's crossed. Is there a, a time frame target you have for when you'd like to get this started, or I don't know if you can say. No, I you know we we're like I said we're just um, we're doing our due diligence and evaluating the um, the applications and making sure all of the things that are um, need to be completed have been completed. Um, as a as a journalist, uh, the assumption is that because so many of these technology companies call California home that this is that this is really a natural for you yeah I mean you you can say that because there's like I said there's all of all of the automakers have set up shop in um, in Silicon Valley so there's a lot of um, presence there and so it makes sense that they would be doing their testing in California and California is a big state um, landmass as well as with population and so the market is there and so it makes sense for uh, for companies to be there. And I, I think this this gathering that we had, the conference that Alan put on, is great because we got to hear perspectives from not just from within the United States and the different jurisdictions, but internationally as well. And um, you know, hearing about what's going on in China as well as in Europe, I thought I think that was um, just uh, valuable. Tell us what some of your thoughts are, some of the key takeaways for you from this uh, Well, like Alan, like Alan said, that, um, you know, there's so many. And, and for me, just learning about, you know, some of the efforts that are going on, especially in Europe um, with, um, with the European Union and the, the philosophy about um, movement of people and how that could effectively be done, I think is something that, that I, I took away as, uh, you know, something that would be valuable for us.
Michael, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the, the different focus, perhaps, uh, that, that we're seeing in, in other countries outside the U.S.? Well, we didn't, one, one country that wasn't represented, that hopefully next year will be represented, and Alan has asked me to help with that, is Japan. There's a tremendous amount that's being done and has been done uh, in Japan with vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, vehicle-to-infrastructure communication, but also with, with uh, autonomous vehicles. I have two groups coming to visit me in September from Japan. One is, a, one is an agency uh, delegation from the Ministry of, of Transport, and another is a, is a business group. Uh, and they're both coming, insurance uh, group, they're both coming over to see what's going on in first in Sweden, because as, as Jan Helloker uh, described with Drive Sweden, there's a tremendous amount of work that's being, being done, and then to move on and, and see what's going on in, in Europe. It's a very different environment. And, uh, the, 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 uh, the way that laws are passed, the way that regulations now are, are implemented with EU recommending regulations and directives to the countries and the countries adapting them to, into their laws. Um, but it, when it comes to, to driving and comes to driverless laws, we're all based on the same foundation. It's, it's, the, it's the UN. It's the, the UN laws that we have, the Geneva and the Vienna Conventions, that are the basis of all of our laws, even though the United States hasn't signed both of those. They're, they're party to at least, at least one of them. Um, so there's, <clears throat> there's a much more deep regulation, regulatory network that has to be worked through with 28 countries all have to, having to agree and then, uh, then adopt uh, whatever is decided. It just takes a much longer time. Um, but the initiatives, as I showed in that diagram in, our, in, the, in, the, uh, in the summary, the the structure for all of this is very well understood. People know how this works. And things work at a national level and they work at an inter international level. There's a tremendous amount of cooperation through the framework program that are funded. These programs are funded by the, by the European Commission and the, the EU. Uh, but there's also a lot of work that's done at the national level, like Drive Sweden. Um, and these two feed each other. They work, work very closely together. I think there are parallels in um, in the United States, um, competitions that are similar to China, where we don't have any competitions. You know, the things that, that happen are done through these programs and projects. But China has competitions. You've had the very You've important had some wonder competitions. Some wonderful representatives from China here at the summit. Yeah, it was very good. It was excellent. Um, I think next year we, we can supplement them with, with uh, representatives from both mm -hmm. uh, Japan mm -hmm. and Korea. Alan, uh, yeah. your thoughts, are, are there different attitudes that you heard about the, in the United States? Talking about consumer attitudes. Um, there seems to be still a lot of fear that happens whenever there is a crash in, the, in this country. People think that, that everything is derailed. Um, different attitudes in other countries. Well, there are different attitudes across this country, and I think there are uh, different points of view. Again. This is looking into a future that uh, that we don't know. I mean, uh, we we we'd like to be able to uh, to to forecast it, anticipate it, and so on. But this is this is really a revolutionary opportunity for changing mobility, and there could be 
substantially different outcomes. You know, I, I've made my my thoughts clear as to where I think it's going. Ride sharing is critically important. If we don't put this out in a transit context, in a in a way in which we're moving, um, when we have the opportunity to move groups of people, we provide mobility to groups of people as opposed to individuals. If we don't do that, then then some of our fundamental problems with 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 environment, with energy, with with pollution are just going to get exacerbated. Uh, but if we do this with looking at uh, who are the, the, the mobility challenged people uh, today who don't have the, 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 uh, this, the same opportunity to, to go to hospitals, to go to jobs, to, to go to their doctor's appointment, to, to go to their music lesson, to, um, to go to the theater, to go to the movie, to, as, as some of the rest of us do, because we go out on our driveway and turn the key and all of a sudden we go. Um, that form of mobility, my goodness, uh, has gotten us to, to a point in which uh, a lot have and a certain number of people have not. The too young, the too old, the too poor, the too, uh, too whatever. And, and this is an opportunity to provide them mobility. I mean, you can't do it with a 53-passenger bus. There aren't enough of them. Where you could do it with a 53-passenger bus, we're already doing it. But there are a number of places in which we can't do it, so we've just left them, you know, hung out to dry. And, and this is an opportunity to provide them, you know, really what turns out to be pretty darn good mobility. I mean, as good a mobility as, you know, going into your car and turning the, turning the, 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 the engine on. And, and it, if it's we interesting do, because very often new technology like this benefits initially the top couple percent of people. In this case, what you're saying is this new technology can really benefit the people who need it the most. We should not do this to take people from Manhattan to the Hamptons, okay? Forget about it. You know, they're not, I, that's, my, that's my political view on this. There are a lot of people who could get an enormous amount of, 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 of uh, quality of life improvement if they had more mobility, okay? I, I, like, I pointed out here at the conference, we've, we built low-income housing here in Princeton. We're at the edge of Princeton Township where, you know, there's no Princeton shopping center. So what you, we're putting people in low-income housing, but they need a car to get a quart of milk. That just doesn't seem correct. We haven't built, built transit-oriented communities for low-income. Now, I don't know who's come out and said, hey, yes, we want to build a bunch of low-income housing around Princeton Junction. I mean, the people who live there will probably go nuts, uh, you know. And so we've stuck these folks out there in left field, and it's incumbent on us to provide them with mobility, and all of a sudden we can't afford it because if we had to put a driver in there in the car and do that, da 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 you know, and here we might have an opportunity to provide this mobility at a really affordable price and substantially improve their quality of life 
that's what we should be doing. You know, Fred, I, you know, I want to echo what, um, what Alan had said because that speaks to one of the things that really um, stuck with me as part of the conference, and that is what's happening in Greenville, in Greenville South Carolina, and, and how they're really looking at using autonomous vehicles um, to help the underserved community and to, to provide that mobility that's um, desperately needed for people that don't have that mobility now. And, um, and that'll just um, help the community. And, um, and so they talked about their plans for doing it and, and how they want to, um, how, how they need to have things in place in order for it to happen. And so that was, um, you know, that was very good for us to hear about it. And it's the second, this is the second year, and we first heard about it last year, and it's good to see some progress um, and, and this go around, and hopefully next year we'll, see, we'll hear more. It's interesting because a lot of the press around this has been focused on this is going to help Uber, this is going to help Lyft because they're not going to need to be paying drivers. But for consumers, it's still going to cost you about the same out of pocket, I guess. But it it should help Lyft and Uber, but but we must get them to target the people that need the mobility that that can really use Mm -hmm. this and really provide that that mobility at a a very affordable price so that the the folks out there... So the savings in not having the driver on board need to be passed along to, to these people who well, are going to use it. Well, of course, I think so. And if they're not going to do it, then maybe that we should set up regulations to do that or should, we should set up an oversight or we should find another operator. And maybe when Waymo puts out their 20,000 cars that uh, that that they just bought will put them out and provide that as as the preferential mobility service and 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 do it uh, explicitly i mean they have an opportunity to come out there and wrap themselves uh wrap an american flag around themselves put themselves on the pedestal and and, and so on if they were if they would do that if they're going to go out into you know, Princeton and provide mobility for me. I mean, not that I'm a one percenter, but you know, that's just not where they. That's not where they should be. Now, I might say, hey, please come serve me and all that and whatever and so on and so forth. But, but really, the, the target population, and you can do this if you have a fleet of vehicles, and uh, the regulations allow you to discriminate. You can you can afford priority to people who don't have mobility and. You can you can do discounts through the through the through the platform and 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 if you look at at the amount of discounting that a local local entity would have to provide, it's, it's in some sense peanuts compared to what they're spending trying to put put a 53 passenger bus out there that is basically empty on every ride and doesn't provide any mobility. You know, don't do, use that elsewhere where where it can really provide mobility services. So that, that that's where I'd like to see the whole thing going and, this, and the, the focus on it. This, what, what Alan just described and what we talked about quite a bit about doing the, the conference, it doesn't exist in Sweden. It doesn't exist in many countries in Europe. If you need a ride, you can get a ride. You don't pay for it. If you need to get to the hospital, you someone will come and pick you up and they'll take you to the hospital and they'll take you home. I can get anywhere in Sweden on public transport from my door. 
So we, we have a very difficult situation. And, and, and this, That's and very different. We do not have that. Exactly. We do not. We have 4% of the trips being served by New Jersey Transit yeah. here. You know, we have a lot of people that, that if they don't have a car, they can walk. Yeah, Great, exactly. thank but you. It's, it's you not, know, it's not what, that what isn't the situation. You know, that I mean, it is enormously different. Yeah. Uh, it's, and so if you're trying to look at what the business case is, for this type of an application, you're looking at a very different situation. Now, having said that, all of that transport costs an awful lot of money. The taxes that we pay, and I, and I pay taxes in both countries, so I know what the tax differences are. The taxes that we pay that, that are allocated for these types of applications, irrespective of whether you can afford it or not, you get the same service whether you can afford it or not. You get a payment in Sweden if you have a child. It doesn't matter whether you're a billionaire or, or have no money at all. You get the same amount of money, no, no difference. And it's the same with public transport. The, the only difference between payment and tra public transport is if you're a student, if you're, you're beyond a student, or if you're retired. That's it. There's no difference in payment based on your, your income. What a, what a difference. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, what this technology can do is it can help Sweden because it can then provide the mobility to these folks much more efficiently. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the key takeaway. Oh, and that's that's why they should be for it. And they should be for it for that. It's it's not to take people off the buses that are going along a bus line for which, you know, it's it's walking distance to a stop and walking distance to a stop. Great. I mean, that that's not, it's just not what this is about. Yeah. This is about all the places where it's tough to, to, to serve them. Yeah. Well, you've already announced, uh, Alan, the, the dates for the Smart Driving Car Summit yeah, 3. the date. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, May 14th through 16th, or really the 15th and 16th. But 14th, next... you have to come to the house for the party, right? <laughs> well, you've just told everybody you're going to have quite a crowd. <laughs> hopefully it won't rain like this year. Everybody was stuck in the house. <laughs> well, let, let me ask this a, a final question for, for, for each of you. And, uh, Michael, maybe I'll let, I'll let you go first. We'll, we'll go in order here. Um, we're going to be coming back here next year. What would you like to see between now and then? And what might we be talking about a year from now when it comes to this technology? Uh, the group, our workshop, made a, uh, made a recommendation, put together all of the, the needs, the challenges, <clears throat> and, and made a recommendation on, on what we think would be an, an ideal way of, of moving forward. And what I'd like to see is, if we can't actually implement that, at least look at it as a use case and groups of people, maybe together on both sides of the Atlantic, maybe including people from China and, and maybe Japan, looking at, at that as a potential use case, doing some work on it, and coming back in a year's time and saying, this is how we think this could have happened or could happen, uh, and maybe taking a project that they're doing and applying that, tech, that uh, perspective and actually having a result and saying, this is what we've achieved on this specific approach. And again, that the, the basis of the platform that you're talking about? Well, yeah, not a platform. It's, 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 uh, it's essentially taking, taking the conditions that exist right now and what we can do, given the existing regulatory environment, given the existing technology that we have, what can we do now and what can we deploy in a, in a very short term to get something out there that we can test 
and that can then be used for the, for our regulatory regime. What we need to do to from from a from a financial standpoint, how much is this going to cost? What are the benefits compared to what the, the existing situations are? So we can actually put this in front of people and, and have something that's very concrete. People in the in the in the in the, in the governments and in, 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 in agencies they ask me all the time. I mean, what's the what's the business case? What who's going to earn money here? How are we going to how are we going to regulate this? They need to have something that's more more concrete to be able to to judge, not just you know, presentations and we can do this and the technology works, but something that says, here's the problem, here's what the solution, here's how this can be implemented. I mean, there are a number of use cases that we can implement. Bernard? I, I assume you're going to want us to be talking one of the things about how successful these completely driverless vehicles have been in California. Well, you know, I, I, I think from my standpoint, one of the things that would be really interesting is to see how the federal government has moved forward within um, the next year, particularly with um, commercial vehicles and the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. So it would be good to get an update from, from the secretary, or from the administrator, I should say, and, um, and also from NHTSA um, to, to learn about anything uh, more. They're going to be coming out with their 3.0 in the summer, and to, um, I think it would be very beneficial for us to hear about what's happening at the federal level. Any other things that you'd like to see happen between now and then? Obviously, there are going to be continued advances in the technology. Yeah, I'd like to, at least from within our state and in, in our other states as well, is just to see how the technology has advanced and how these vehicles are becoming more and more ready to be deployed. Alan? Well, I, I, I want Bernard to come back and tell us uh, all the trips that the uh, two people that have applied for. Um, maybe it'll for, be 10 by then. And maybe well. it'll be 10. <laughs> and, and I mean, he can have the whole conference to discuss, you know, all the successes and, and, and all the wonderfulness. And, and, uh, and I hope that, that, of course, that it's that. And he'll have, he'll have a ton to, 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 to uh, talk about. Um, from our point of view, uh, this today was, was a major advancement for the state of New Jersey. I mean, the state of New Jersey has been basically uh, totally backwater and uh, up to this point, and we well, did. Well, you've been knocking at, on the door for a while, and finally somebody answered it. I, I, I've been beating my head <laughs> against the door for, you know, I don't know how many years now and, and made, made no progress. Uh, totally unsuccessful, uh, but but today uh, uh, we had Vin White here, who is um, uh, you know a serious, uh, senior policy advisor to the governor, made some uh, what I considered to be some very positive statements about where he, he and he was somewhat speaking for the governor would like to see the state go, and those I mean I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And so I think uh, we, uh, New Jersey now has an opportunity to start becoming a player uh, in this thing. And uh, as I continue to point out, uh, New Jersey, I consider California is, is in a sense a microcosm of the, of, the, of the country also because of the wide range of, of, of environments. And, and we're, we're sitting here in New Jersey, we have an equally wide range of environments. And, uh, and so therefore, um, we would like to see some of these things come here and 
and again, provide mobility for the mobility disadvantaged. That's, to me, the sweet spot of where we should go, and we should make that happen as, as well as we possibly can. That's where we can start. And, of course, by the end of it, we provide mobility for all. Okay, great, but we've got to get started someplace. And I don't think we, we, we start with the haves. I think we start with the have-nots. And because, uh, why? I mean, that politically, that's got to be a better way to, to go, uh, you know, obviously. But that's not the reason, the real reason. We get the biggest bang in quality of life if we provide this mobility to the mobility disadvantage. So whenever you're looking to do anything, you look for the biggest leveraging points where, 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 where the... Um, elasticity is greatest where the where the partial derivative of this thing is highest where the you know and that's that's where this is this is fundamentally where it is and we provide mobility for them uh, hopefully they will they will uh, uh, allow us and in fact uh, appreciate it uh, but in fact uh, you know that then can can really propel this thing and that's an opportunity to do to 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 do it well as opposed to those that already have it now you know i'm in san francisco and i have now a 15th you know op uh, way to get from a to b who cares about that uh, sorry <laughs> well <laughs> that's know. it for this edition of the smart driving car podcast alan congratulations Thank on, you. on another you. successful no, no, no. It summit was, it was and, and we'll be back right we'll be we'll be back michael senna thanks for being here and bernard soriano I'm Fred Fishkin, and thank you for listening.